0: Welcome back, listeners. My name is Jackson Vickery, and I am the host and producer of the JV Club podcast. On this episode, I spoke to composer Will Bates about his work on dumb money. Congratulations, first off, just on the film. And I mean, the amazing reaction um, it's had so far and just, I mean, I continue to, even though I I don't have a Twitter, I I do like to scroll and just get general reactions to to how things are being perceived. And I mean, everyone is just seemingly loving this film. Um, I mean, what's your reaction just in general to the reaction of the
1: film? Um, I mean, it's been wonderful. I was at the the premiere at TIFF and um, back in September. God, I've like totally got no sense of time anymore. That's like a post COVID thing, isn't it? Um, but yeah, I mean, I I love the movie. The first time I saw it, I um I saw a relatively finished cut and just like knew immediately that people were going to react well to this. It's such a it's such a brilliant portrayal of an amazing story that we all kind of I don't know about you, but I we all sort of remember it when it happened. Um, and I think that the way that Craig delivers the information is both entertaining and deeply informative. And yeah, I'm I'm but yeah, having said that, of course it's always wonderful to see audiences react in this much of a positive way. It's great.
0: Mm, absolutely. And I mean, just to really kick things off, I mean, what were some of your or who were some of your earliest influences, just in the in the composition space and, and music in general back um, back when you were sort of just first starting out and um, just from from your vantage point um, being a Brit and just yeah out. sure
1: um, I guess I, when I um, well the first records I bought. When I was like six or seven years old, but all soundtrack albums I bought like the the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, Ennio Morricone score, and I sang the whole of Star Wars to my parents when I was six or seven. They went out and bought me a violin. It was always like film music that I that I loved, and I think when I was really young, when I realized that all of these pieces of music that I grown to love and were, we're humming away we were all written by one person by john williams it was kind of like a light bulb going off and say like, i want to do that when i grow up um and then of course things you know you become a teenager and things change and i you know i got into i became a jazz musician right at the beginning of my career i when i was about 13 i i got very good at the sax very quickly and between the ages of 13 and 19 i, I thought i was going to be Cannibal Adley when I grew up. I just wanted to be a bebop jazz musician. Um, and then I discovered techno and started writing a lot of dance music in London. And then I was the lead singer of a band in New York. Um, it's all been all over the place, but the the thing that's always been in the background is is scoring and it's kind of the only way that I knew how to make a living as well. Um, <laughs> I rather naively thought that scoring commercials would get me into scoring films Um, and so I I worked for a music house in London right before moving to New York um, writing just jingles and whatnot and then I moved to New York and became an in-house composer at a commercial music house for seven years and it was an amazing experience but of course it was very had nothing to do with film scoring it kind of existed in parallel and I found myself scoring like Sundance movies at night when my boss wasn't in the studio and then doing like a serial commercials during the day um but i think that yeah like the the crazy influences and all of that stuff really helped me to to understand what it what it takes to be a composer in that in that realm and then you know obviously eventually things kind of worked out and i got into scoring movies and tv shows and stuff but um yeah my my influences are a really weird
0: <laughs> i mean hey I, the varied interests get you to do the vast array of projects i think that you get to do just because of i mean because of the influences that you that you. yeah
1: i i think you're right that's true i think that when i was starting out i almost suffered because of not having a very specific thing like i wouldn't get the call like let's call that guy because he does that thing i was doing all, all sorts of stuff and i think that that's been a that's been a bit of a pattern for me throughout my life like it's all that I, I do a lot of different things and sometimes it's like you know it's easier to pigeonhole people and to to get the gig based on that one thing that they are known for doing as opposed to doing all sorts of other stuff. Can't um, keep you on a box. Right I suppose so it's worked out in the end put it that way but yeah it was yeah. definitely not not straightforward at the beginning so.
0: Absolutely but like you said all worked out um so talk to me about the call the email that you get from craig Gillespie, um to to talk about this project to was it an immediate offer what how did this all sort of um play out for you just in the beginning of it all
1: sure so i had just finished a tv show called class of 09 for fx which is this um sort of Parallel timeline thing. There's some in the present day. Some of it is futuristic. This FBI show. So there's a lot of electronics in it, and a lot of um electronics with like big themes and stuff like that. And it was um the music supervisor on that job was Sue Jacobs, and we finished the job and it went really well. And she was like, "I've got this other thing, um by Craig Gillespie." I'm like, "My God, Craig Gillespie? Yeah, sign me up. What is it?" And so she she sent me the cut, and of course it was just like, "Oh my, this is." fantastic um and we hit it off and he he came over to my studio and he brought cut Baxter with him and Sue was kind of like this one's going to be fairly quick I'm, i honestly like I'm used to if someone tells me something's fast I'm like is it a week or is it three months like what is what is fast like I've had the entire spectrum and it turns out it was like three months which I think in this level of movie is considered fast but you know I'm I've done like the odd sundance film where I'm like, we've we've got five days. What what can you pull <laughs> together? <can you> <laughs> so anyway, so she's like, you know, it's gonna be quick. It would be a good idea if you wrote some sketches and whatnot. So so I I did that and I I sent him some some pieces that were based on my first viewing of the cut. And then he and Kirk, his editor, came over and you know, they were like, the sketches are good. you you, the the palette of sounds is right we haven't quite found the theme yet and i i was like i've got this one thing that i that i wrote right at the beginning but i didn't send it to you because i didn't really know what it was it it was just like it was literally the first thing i wrote and um was like oh let's play that and i played him that thing he's like why didn't you send this like what's wrong with you and that ended up being that piece of music is more or less exactly how it was written it ended up in the finished film it's roaring kitty's main theme um and that kind of like, he left the studio very excited and it was kind of like, I, I feel like you found it. And from then on, it was a lot of like, getting the tone right for a lot of the suspense mm-hmm. cues. And the, the, those sequences were maybe a little trickier, but finding that theme, I think was the thing that sort of sealed the uh, the, the job, so to speak, so. But no, that that's
0: fantastic to hear. And I mean, it, it's funny that, I mean, the first thing that you wrote that, you think is garbage, sort of, just becomes the. I just didn't know what
1: it was. Yeah, it was like this. This felt it felt great when I was making it, but then I kind of took a step back and was like, I I'm not sure how this fits in, but okay, I'll keep going. And then I wrote a bunch of other stuff, and the other stuff that I wrote was very like, it was great, but it was I was really tap dancing, you know, like I was kind of doing crazy. I had a this Russian drone synth. I figured out a way to like tie these rubber bands around it and like play the synth with rubber bands. I had a set of timpani that I own at my other studio. That's um, I have these like MIDI triggers on it, and I was I wrote trap beats on the timpani. If that makes sense, like these totally inhuman. So Craig's just like, yeah, you know, it's pretty cool, but the... <laughs> you know, it's just like clearly I was sort of like trying to trying to seal the deal but in the end it just needed a, a good melody um and that melody came about in kind of a funny way it was um this synth that a friend of mine a friend of mine knows that i collect a lot of weird stuff and he was like there's this thing online you should check it out it's called the suiko st 10 and it's a it's like a japanese poetry trainer i think it's originally what it's intended to be and it's like this weird monophonic synth with a cassette deck in the side and the keys are laid out in a really weird scale. It doesn't make sense. It's sort of like a Japanese scale. It's not like a Western thing. And I wrote the melody on that thing. Um, and I, I'll probably never use that thing ever again. It was just like a one and done little thing. But yeah. Anyway.
0: Well, you can hang it up on the wall and have it be the the memory from
1: from of the film. Roaring Kitty. Yeah, we have a little room in the back of our studio called the Orphanage, which is where all those things like that end up you know uh, buy a lot of gear that just gets used sometimes even for just one cue you know and then it just i can't use that again it's too connected with that character so it just like goes to the orphanage
0: love that yeah. um i'm curious what what scenes were the ones that were you were gravitating towards and when you were sort of trying to siphon through everything that's going on in this film and really that was grabbing you and you knew that okay this is this is what's going to be either exciting or this is what's going to be a challenge or or what and and uh, it's great that you had sort of the full finished film to to go with it so i'm just i'm very curious where'd where'd you just jump off
1: um to to sort of get going i think the the first thing and weirdly i think that theme probably came about as a result of it. I was thinking about the moment where you first see him um, on the train. And if you remember that sequence, you see Roaring Kitty after that cold open um, and the credits are are done and stuff. And he's like tapping his foot, he's kind of nervous. There's like this nervous energy, but you can tell that this is our protagonist and he's about to do this extraordinary thing. Um, So I, I thought a lot about that, trying to capture something that had that nervous energy, but also, draws you in um and then the the scene that i was really excited to score was that there's a um we it's called the track cue i he's like running on the track and he's there's the voiceover is of his manifesto but it's being spoken by different characters does that ring a bell um yeah Yeah. and um that's like a a big piece with a lot of you you get the real sense that the, the people are starting to rise up and this is an idea that i i suggested to Craig and Kirk quite early on of like, rather than it just being full electronics, is there something that we can balance that electronic sound against? And we, I talked about like low brass, and I always thought that like that kind of brass band, like coal miners sound, like of a slightly wonky brass band would feel like the masses kind of rising up. And so I recorded all of these brass, I'm a sax player, like I said earlier, but I play a little bit of, I, I can hold a note, to put it that way so and i have a lot of brass so i ended up doing all the brass myself because i wanted it to ha- be slightly wonky and like you know that, that kind of not discordant but just sort of slightly charming sounding and sounding like the masses so that that was ended that ended up going in the movie that way um i would have called my I have a wonderful trumpet player that i have been working with since i was a kid called quentin collins back in london but he's too good basically i wanted someone who barely knew how to play you know my son just started playing trumpet i should call him um but,
0: <laughs> yeah it's, so i that, that would yeah
1: yeah I mean, it wouldn't be the first time i've called my children in to do a school, actually oh <laughs> that's a whole other story yes for a different mm-hmm. podcast uh
0: no yeah. uh, but in regards to any particular challenges uh
1: that yeah i i Two things kind of come to mind. First of all, there's a lot of, um, as the movie progresses, there are long sequences of, you know, I I feel like in financial movies, there has to be quite a lot of explanation of this quite complicated thing that's happening. And one of the ways that Craig does it is by handing the exposition around to different people. And and I, I think it's very clever and it keeps you entertained, but it also explains a lot of this complex financial thing that's happening and i guess the thing that needs to go along with it is music to help unite it and also to change and to you know to kind of give it variation um and there's like three or four of those sequences in the movie and those cues are long they're like seven or eight minutes which for a piece of music is is quite extended and i think in the end those were the more tricky ones like trying to be propulsive without without being like an action movie trying to be electronic and cool without as craig would say sounding like i'm coming up in a ibiza a, a rave or something yeah. um you know what i mean like just just trying to kind of maintain that balance and you know craig uh, kirk rather the editor has this very specific way of cutting where he would kind of build things up build things up and then kind of make it crash down again to nothing and then build it back up again and those were really fun moments to score, but it it really just meant that those long sequences required a lot of sculpting. Um, there was that, and then the other thing that I was sort of quietly very conscious of, I guess, is the theme for um, Keith's sister, Sarah, who who died right before all of this happened. And that's, you know, obviously that's a big part of his, of his character um and I that was a theme that I just really wanted to get right I knew that he would see the movie and um you know having lost a parent when I was a kid it sort of dealing with just wanted to get that one right you know needed a light touch and um and I think we got there in the end but yeah that was that was a really important one for me to to not kind of not make it feel too you know overly emotional but at the same time for it to have a certain amount of importance placed on it Mm -hmm.
0: and I mean what was there already a temp score in place or was there temp music in place that maybe gave you a framework um or sort of talk me through that if there yeah
1: there there were bits and pieces I with temp I tend to like listen to it once and then shut it off um but yeah there there are pieces of various things that were in there It was very clear that he wanted, and that's why I got the call initially. That Craig really wanted an electronic score, Um, but also something that had this like human element to it. And and again, like I think for me, like as I've gone through my career, that seems to be here. I was complaining about not getting called for the specific thing, but I feel like now I I tend to get called for the for the moments where it's like unconventional instrumentation that's balanced with electronics, that there's like electronics that are kind of blurred that, you know, I, I'll i have synths that go through amps. I have mics that are set up across the room to kind of give everything a slightly dusty quality. You know, everything's like being treated and manipulated. And I, I think that he, a lot of his time that was in there, he felt that when the electronics became too present, it became, it started to feel sort of nostalgic and I think that's kind of something that that we we kind of went backwards and forwards along quite a bit with which is that that thing that electronics can ultimately if they're too clean they can start sounding too 80s if they're too bubbly they start sounding like they're a bit from the 90s you know what I mean like we're, we're also in tune with what those synths mean to us as individuals I think that um, it was really important to try and kind of guide that and not be too nostalgic and not kind of have that feeling of like it being drifting into a rave or whatever. Um, so yeah, I, you know, he he definitely had a clear idea of, of what he wanted in terms of instrumentation and pacing, but there was like this weird unknown, like what are we going to balance it out with? And that was, that's always the fun part for me, honestly.
0: Finding
1: yeah. those extra colors.
0: Yeah, and especially with it being so... Recent, you kind of do have that nice way of sculpting the present slash future in a sense. Yeah, so it, exactly.
1: It, Actually, that's one thing worth pointing out is all the songs were completely locked in place. Sue is uh, Sue Jacobs, the music supervisor, is a kind of an expert of finding both incredibly famous. Obviously, there's like massive songs, and there were also some relatively unknown pieces, and there's a couple of pieces that were commissioned by artists. Um, and uh, that also informed my choices. You know, there's there's like big trap beats in there and stuff like that. And some of the kind of bolder sounds that that's in the source is definitely that was something that she was like kind of encouraging me to do. like make the sounds kind of big and bold and like, don't be afraid because like the the source and you know current music in general does that. Like it's all wow. Big, you know like everything like big gestures so that it's a it was a fun brief
0: yeah and i'm curious i mean what what's fascinating you in the i mean just in compositions nowadays and just maybe in terms of when you first started out in your career maybe not in the in the commercial space but i mean just in general of uh i mean your first tv and and film projects um, like what's inspiring me right now, that kind of thing, or in a way, like what what is I mean, what excites you in regards to I mean the creation process, or just I mean, what excites you about sort of the landscape that we're in nowadays, maybe per se, and you can definitely add in what excites you for sure.
1: Yeah, um I guess I I, I feel like when I was starting out, things were a bit more pigeonholed. I mean, it's a long time ago, like twenty five years ago, things seemed there, there was less cross-pollination amongst various formats and you know i for example i just went to see um floating points at the hollywood bowl a couple of weeks ago there's that wonderful Pharaoh saunders floating points record called promises do you know that album check it out it's really good it's crazy and weird and very epic but also very minimal but it's a it's to me that sort of sums it up it's like a what, why did Pharaoh Saunders make an album with a quite obscure British young electronic producer and then when you hear it it's just like well that makes sense it's amazing um sadly Pharaoh passed away before he could perform at the Bowls but they had a wonderful um sax player to replace him but it was extraordinary to see that and like yeah I think that 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 to me is like that's almost encouraged now this sort of like constant like what can we do to turn something upside down and switch it on its head and and i i think that in a way television has a lot to answer for that too like i have the the tv that i've done i don't think that i would have been having those kinds of opportunities 30 years ago you know what i mean like i don't think people would be open to the weird wonky noises and all the strange stuff they would want an orchestra on everything you know so I think that that's definitely wonderful and encouraging. There's a lot of us doing it, which is you know good and bad. I suppose it becomes incredibly competitive now, but um, the fact that so much content is being created also allows for a certain amount of experimentation. Um, one of the scores that I loved actually of the last couple of years is the Underground Railroad score. I've loved Nicholas Brittell's. Oh, uh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, I was kind of shocked that it didn't get an Emmy nod, Um, but I, I just, that score is phenomenal. Like he just took a palette and did something really magical with it on, in such an important subject as well. So there, yeah, you know, he's constantly pushing the boundaries. It seems a lot of contemporary composers are, I don't think that you're allowed to sort of stay in one place anymore. I think we all have to kind of push the boundaries and find a new sound and it's both maddening and very exciting you know
0: yeah no I, I, always, I oh go ahead sorry I was just
1: gonna say I whenever I get a, a new job I'll be like the, the first wave is just obviously elation and it's wonderful and how exciting I'm about to embark on a new journey it was quickly replaced by utter fear and horror because I'm I'll if I'm in my home studio which I am right now I'll um like I'm storming upstairs, Sarah. we that's it. Nicholas Prattel wrote the last melody. There's none left. They've all gone. And I'll you know go back downstairs and I'll I'll find it in the end. But you know, there's always this moment where I'm just like, that's it. There's no there's nothing left to say. It's it's yeah. been done. But um, but there is always a thing, and I think that that's why we all do this. It's like trying to chase that that feeling of conjuring up something that's unique. <laughs>
0: Thank you for tuning into this episode. This podcast was hosted and produced by yours truly, Jackson Vickery. But a very special thank you to Sterling Gavinsky for the theme music and to Carly Haney for the artwork. We will see you next time.